Start recording. Yep. All right, so you should be able to, everything's ready to rock and roll. Okay, cool. So we're going to start. We're going to talk to our production coordinator. Everything's ready to go over here, production coordinator. Yep, we're ready to All go. Right, fantastic. All right, so we're with Jonah Pearl today from Split Second Sound. And man, I have known you shit since I've known you basically since I moved to Charlotte back in 2006, roughly in that area. Yeah, man. We well, did. I started with Split Second Sound in 2009. So okay, it was well, that 2009. Ten years. We, we did a, one of my first weddings I ever did with Split Second Sound. You were the DJ. Was that Keith's wedding? It was Keith and Ashley. Yeah, the that's right. right. Who now was your co-host or co cohort, right? Yes, I got him on board. Yeah, man. So, um, you know, I, I know you don't like the titles of best DJ and best this and all. And I, I get it. And I hate it when people talk talk about me. So, um, but you are a pretty badass DJ. And, but the thing that I've noticed about people that it's not necessarily your DJing skills, while they might be fantastic, what people love about Jonah is that you're this genuinely cool, authentic fella, and you're kind of a younger cat for, and like sometimes you get DJs who are crazy old, and, um, and I work for some of those. But you not only got your craft down, you know your shit, and, and I'm just going to tell a story, that, and then I'll let you talk. By the way, I ramble sometimes, so just shut me up. Um, the wedding that we just did with Eliana and Jason a couple weeks ago at Valentine Country Club, like this epitomizes you for me. So, and I've not heard you do this little spiel before, but we were at the reception and we were getting ready to do toasts and you walked in with authority, which I love. I love someone who's got some authority. And you walked in with the mic in hand and you basically said, shut the fuck up, everybody, <laughs> without those expletives. Right. You basically said, shut the fuck up. We're about to do toast. If you have anything to say, wait until you have a mic in your hand. You're never going to have a mic in your hand. So the only people who should be talking are the people out of the mic. And I love that because one of my biggest problems as a photographer with toasts is nobody's paying attention. People are always out doing their own thing. Yeah. So I love the fact that you took charge of that one. So anyway, that's my little story about you. And among others. And I, so I've been working with you since 2009. I thought it was 2006. Anyway, fantastic. All right, so um, first first question, kind of like how we got to this point, yeah. this show, and the whole purpose of it as we've talked is I, I like to introduce people who I find to be interesting, who have cool stories, who have cool backstories, who have just good personalities and stuff that they might be able to share with people. So uh, the first question I ask everybody is, how'd you get to Charlotte? Where are you originally from? Uh, originally from Georgia. I tell people Atlanta because you know that, that meme on Facebook, like if you tell somebody you're from Charlotte, they're like, or uh, some random city outside of Charlotte, they're like, where's that? Charlotte. So I'm from north of Atlanta in a little town called uh, Ackworth or Woodstock. You know. Yeah, I know Woodstock. Yeah, okay. so that's where I was born. I uh, lived there until I was seven. My dad worked for United Airlines. So um, seven years old, he got a transfer to Colorado. So we moved out to Denver. Uh, well, he was working in Denver. I was born in Colorado. Really? What part? Yeah. Um, Colorado Springs. Beautiful. Sorry. No, absolutely right beautiful. for the Rockies. Dude, it's really good Hey. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, he was in Denver, uh, working Denver Airport. We lived at the Mountains of Evergreen. Um, we lived there from 1992 to 1998. Um, and in 1998, uh, my mom's mom was really sick with cancer. And we were going from Colorado to Georgia, Georgia, Colorado, Colorado, Georgia, every two or three weeks. We're flying all the time. It was my mom, my brother, my sister, and I. And it just, it was really stressful and strenuous for my mom to have to get all these kids together and be flying back and forth every few weeks to take care of her mom. Um, so eventually her mom passed away and we moved from Colorado back to, or, or to North Carolina, uh, just to be closer to my mom's sisters because she's got one sister in Georgia, one sister in South Carolina. So it was just to be you know back on the East Coast, closer to family. And that's how we wound up here. It was a week before my 13th birthday when we moved here. 
Um, it sucks. I was in Colorado, uh, in Colorado. I was in Taekwondo. I was really involved. My brother and I were both. Where in Colorado, did you say? Uh, well, we were born in, or we were living in Evergreen. We were, I was taking Taekwondo in Ashland Park. I've lived in Evergreen. Dude, 100%. My dad, for whatever reason, I swear he was always running from the law. I don't know this by fact, but we actually lived in Evergreen. You don't know, have the big, um, the Buffalo Park? Like, on the way up into Evergreen, there's all the wild buffalo or the tame buffalo. Remember there. Evergreen Lake? I don't remember Evergreen Lake because I was young. I was probably six, seven years old at the time. I just always remember the buffalo and it being really effing cold every day. That's yeah. one thing I remember. That was one thing I was happy about. Like, Colorado's beautiful. There's so much going on there. But I'm a beach guy. I love warm weather. So, like, all right, snow six months out of the year. I'm good. This has been fun. So, when we moved here, I was kind of like, all right, warmer weather. I'm down with that. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I was, it was a week before I turned 13. We moved here. Uh, I was homeschooled for pretty much my entire life from K-5 until the uh, ninth grade when I started going to a Baptist academy. I was in a Baptist academy from ninth, 10th, and 11th grade. And then senior year, my mom was like, do you want to you know, stay in this Baptist academy or would you like to go to public school? Ooh, do I want to go to a Baptist academy or public school from being homeschooled? I would like to try public school. So I spent my senior year and only my senior year in a public school setting over at Sun Valley. I'm not laughing at you to laugh at you. I, we did not know this. I didn't realize how much of, of synchronicity we share. I was really? homeschooled until sixth grade. And when I was offered to go to school, I was basically the same thing. No, I would rather stay here and get beaten, flogged by your everyday dad. Of course I want to go to fucking school, man. Are you crazy? So yeah, that's so crazy. Sorry, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Um, yeah, so uh, homeschool and then- There's a lot of language is allowed on the show, apparently, because I think I dropped two F-bombs. Oh, wait, okay. <laughs> I try to, with the whole professional, like, I can't say that at work, so I try not to say it, but it might slip out here. But it won't, there are scientific studies that show who, if people who curse more frequently, and I didn't know this before I found out how much I curse, but people who curse more get this is true. So tell, you, tell your man, because he never says anything bad, <laughs> the more you curse, the more intelligent you are. There's a direct scientific correlation. It's all about accessing the creative limbic system in the mind. Hey. Go. Um, so where were we? So uh, public school, moved here. Um, went to, after high school, I went to um, Central Piedmont Community College for a little while. The plan was to go to CPCC, transfer to, uh, I was hoping to go to UNCC, or uh, UNC, Chapel Hill. I wanted to be a lawyer. I was really looking into becoming a prosecuting attorney. Um, and then life happens. And back in 2007, November 2007, I got hit head on by a drunk driver. I'm um, away from a friend's house. I was over there helping him write a paper. Got hit head on by a drunk driver. A month later, we found out my dad had cancer. Um, so that whole period, we found out he was diagnosed with about two years to live with uh, colon cancer. He lived two years, January of 2008, he passed away. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the wreck was 2005. It was November 2005. We found out in December of 2005 that he had cancer. He lived for two years, January of 2008, he passed away. So when dad passed away, it was kind of like, I don't know. I don't really know people's personal stories as far as losing people, but Personally, for me, when you take a loss like that, like, especially being homeschooled, my dad was one of my best friends. Like he was like, our biggest cheer. Like dad and I were close. So when he passed away, um, all the things that really pushed you, that drove you, didn't really drive you as much anymore. It didn't drive me as much anymore. So I was like, I was just dealing with loss and the trauma and just trying to get through it. Um, so I was like, all right, let me take a step back from my schooling pursuits. Kind of deal with family. Kind of re, re uh, prioritize what was going on. And then in 2010, um, May of 2010, my sister was diagnosed with spindle cell sarcoma. That was in May of 2010. In July of 2010, my sister passed away. So 
not only was it quick, it was another just incredible loss. And fortunately at the time I was working with Split Second Sound and every single weekend, I had an opportunity to go out to these events and just experience joy that other people were feeling and sharing with each other. And energy is something that's very palpable. It's, it's, it's contagious. You can feed off of other people and you can kind of take from that. Everything um, on this planet is an energy vibration. Yes, exactly. It's, everything's vibrational. So being able to put myself within that vibration every week really kept me afloat. Um, and it gave me a purpose. Like, even though I'm experiencing quite a lack of joy, when I get to be around people who are exhibiting such enthusiasm for life and love and, and just having a great time, I was able to kind of tap into that. And rather than draw from it, as far as suck the energy from it, I was able to just accept the energy and give it back. Because um, if you allow positive energy in you, you can release positive energy. Same with if you just let the negative. Absolutely. Or you're going to be so you're, you're putting out what you're taking in. So I was taking in all that joy and trying to push it back out there. And fortunately, it really helped to drive what I do today. Um, so that's been a lot of fun, which was very necessary after the amount of trauma that was being experienced from these life events. So I, I don't have, I'm sorry about your losses. You know that. Um, I, I get uncomfortable talking around, around death around people because I don't have a frame of reference for it. I personally never lost it. So I'm always, I'm always astounded by people who, who, who have lost somebody close to them and how they've dealt with it. it. It's always kind of like, for me to kind of understand, it's hard for me. So being in a family, I come from a really large family, by the way, cousin, two sisters, and I was homeschooled. Yeah, I do. And so kind of hearing some of your stories, there's a lot of parallels. I'm, I am interested in the cancer piece. So, you know, um, when you're diagnosed with cancer and you're given a terminal sentence, did you ever sit and have a conversation with your dad around what that looked like to him? Did he resign his life at that point because the doctors told him he had two years? Because you know there's countless stories out there of people who have you know changed their diet and changed their lifestyle and changed everything they did from quitting their jobs so they could just focus on themselves and, and learn to heal themselves. And so I'm always curious when I hear people who have who are given terminal sentences. There are some that just go on to die. And there are some that say, fuck this, I'm going to reverse this and change that process and go on to live and walk and walk. So yeah. when, when your dad found out that he had a terminal sentence of two years, did you and he ever just kind of sit down and be like, what was in his head at that point? Like, how do you even swallow a pill like that? Um, so when dad was diagnosed, life turned around in that, so he worked a lot, but when he what did he do? He, was, he worked for United Airlines, he was in customer service. Like, um, he, he did a lot of gate work. So when you go to the gate at the airport, he was you know, making announcements on the phone, helping people. He loved his job. He loved customer service. He loved making sure that if he did something for somebody. So that's where he got that from. I, I think I that genetic disposition was passed on. Yeah. Um, so that was real nice. And I loved going to work with him. You know, sometimes I'd have like bring your son to work or bring your kid to work day. Yeah, he'd yeah. bring me to work and I get to see him interact with everybody. So yeah, I think I, that my, uh, my behavior towards other people comes a lot from how dad used to, I used to see my dad in there. So that was cool. Um, but when he was diagnosed, man, we had some, once we found he was sick, we had some great family vacations. Uh, he reprioritized just, all right, I only, I know that the doctors tell me that I have, and I could last longer, I could, it could be a short amount of time, but I have this amount of time, let's make the most of it. So he resigned himself to the fact that he had only two years left, I guess that was how he, was he accepted the fact that he may only have two years left, and if he only had two years left, it was going to be the best two years that he could possibly live with his family, just having a good time and just kind of 
letting life be what it was and what it needed to be for his family at the time. Um, we did sit down and we'd have some talks about you know, in the event that he only made it to the point where they thought he was going to make it, what life was going to look like and kind of some lessons that he wanted to pass down to me. Um, yeah, it was, it was a time. So in terms of your personal development, that was obviously a big milestone in your life. Looking back, how old are you now, roughly? I'm 33. 33. So looking back on your life, 33 and 23 and 13, you know, obviously we evolved as humans. That's just kind of like the nature of the beast. Absolutely. Have you ever, have you always been the type of person that you are in terms of the personality that you have today, in terms of giving back and paying it forward and kind of a zest and a zeal for living life and all that sort of stuff? Or, or were, were moments like the loss of your father epiphanies to you, so to speak? <coughs> because I don't, I look at my, and I, and I, again, not to make this about me, but, you know, my question comes from me. I don't know that I was always the same human that I am today. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of significant things that have happened in my life that have made me kind of question and become introspective about how I'm living my life and what I'm doing for a profession and how I treat people and how I interact with people and all those sorts of things. And I'm wondering, you know, how, what, are, what do other people's journeys look like in, in that same time? Yeah. <coughs> that was a long question, but have you always been cool dude? Yeah, uh, well, so... That's a short way to put that. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so throughout all the life experiences that I've been through, I'd say my younger years, you know, I've always been kind of out there. I love to talk to people. I love just people. Um, anything I can do to help them always, I, I like to help people because it, I feel like life boils down to the golden rule. Just treat people how you would want them to treat you. It's that simple. But have you always felt that? I have always felt that, but it's always been, it, these life events have kind of strengthened that, or um, I guess I've kind of deviated from the path here and there, but just, I guess when, when, when losing dad, it does give you a time to stop, and because, and this is the, I'm glad you haven't lost anybody. When you do, if, you have the unfortunate situation where that's going to be something that comes up. You find that life just goes on. Life continues. Life keeps rolling. However, you as a person within that, that moment, you stop. Life goes on and you kind of pause and you're, you go introspective and you try to find out what's going on. You ask questions. And then when you get out of that, when you're done trying to ask those questions, you find out, you find out that life has kind of gone by and this amount of time has passed and I don't know, it feels like life hits pause for you, but life continues to go on. So when you're able to finally hit play for yourself again and kind of get back into the swing of things with life, you're now playing catch up. And, um, but it gives you an opportunity, it gives you a time to stop and think, well, if this hadn't happened, would, would this be happening? And it's just... It's interesting because you could take that conversation which you just said about time freezing into a whole quantum level. You talk about the quantum physics about all that, and I, I would love to actually engage in that conversation with you. Yeah. Um, I read a book in the last five years or so by a uh, she's a Buddhist monk, Canadian Buddhist monk. Um, uh, her name is Pina Chodron, and she talks about death and life and things ending and things beginning. And she has a really interesting. Uh, prognosis, not prognosis, theory around death and just life in general that kind of opened my eyes about death. But um, she wrote a book called When Things Fall Apart. And, and in the book, she talks about how everything is a cycle and a process of life and death. You know, from the time that you go to sleep to the time you wake up to the fact that people die and then people, people are born again. And so it's interesting, my view on death and my view on things ending. And she talks about everything ends, like literally everything comes to a conclusion. 
and then things begin again, and then they end, and they begin again. So I used to be petrified of death, and I'm not anymore. Not that I want to die, but a lot of shit I want to accomplish after I leave this planet. But it's interesting, like, you know, the things that we're exposed to and the things that we're taught, or the things that we're not taught as kids, and then as we uncover them or discover them on our own volition and we change our viewpoint on life. And I'm wondering, um, has, has there been anything in the last few years that you have read or you have watched or you have seen or experiences other than the death of family and close members that have changed your viewpoint on uh, Well, like I said, when I was growing up at being homeschooled and also in that Baptist Academy, um, obviously without having to say it, and my name's Jonah, I was raised in a Christian household. Um, so, and there's a lot of really great uh, principles that you can take and apply to life from the Bible. However, after losing my dad and after losing my sister, there was a lot of time in those years that I just, I wasn't the extrovert that I was normally beforehand. I became very introverted. I spent a lot of time at home reading and just trying to find, just I had so many questions that you could not find answers for. However, you couldn't find answers for in the, in the books or the knowledge that you had access to. Right. Um, and that's my position as well. So in, in trying to find these answers that I didn't think I'd be able to find because these questions were just, I mean, it's when somebody dies, it's the questions that you ask. Yeah. So esoteric stuff. Yes. Deep way out there. And I mean, the internet is vast, but it only has so much. So I was, I don't have internet when I was born. So I don't know. I mean, at that age, was internet pretty viable? At that time, 2000, Well, my dad passed away. He was 2008. My sister was 2010. Oh, so yeah, so, but I spent a lot of time just trying to find information. And, you know, it was from religion to, I mean, all over the spectrum. I was just looking for answers. I was so lost as far as just trying to figure out what life meant and why I was here and why I was having to go through these things. And uh, so I can say that a lot of who I am is based on a lot of, like, Christian core principles that I grew up understanding but then I found out in all of this research and, and just digging and trying to find answers that everything that I am principle wise is not necessarily just from biblical principles that a lot of these principles are shared throughout different religions and that getting into the certain dogmas and, and finding out that religion has such a powerful hold on people in the way that they think and the way that they act around others not necessarily the way they act as a person, but how they act around others is influenced by their belief system like that. And so in losing people close to me, I'm, I'm not gonna say I lost my religion. I just found a different path, so to speak. Um, it alters your perspective. Oh, it absolutely does, it absolutely does. Um, so I went from being, and I, I don't really talk about it much, but when people ask, I like to answer. So I'm not necessarily a Christian, so to speak, but I'm more agnostic. I believe that there is a greater power, there is, a creator that, you know, there is intelligent design. We can see it. It's it's impossible to, to deny that there's some sort of intelligent design. However, I can't necessarily say that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's this one person that this 100%. happens. Yeah. So it, we're not dissimilar in that. So I, I believe the term that I would espouse to is Gnostic, not agnostic. Gnostic believes in a higher being, spirituality of life, that there is something bigger and better that created this potential, this universe, but that we're all interconnected and interwoven. Maybe Gnostic is the term we're looking for. Yeah, so, you know, like the plants and the flowers and Mother Earth and all the things that we live in, and you and I, like, we're all, we all came from the same source. And so for us to be racially inclined or, or 
sexually inclined or to have the derisive feelings about one person because they look a little bit different than I do or that you have a, a different gender than I do and all of those sorts of things. Like, it's just a blind negative that you're just setting yourself up for failure because that person is basically your soul. Basically. Absolutely. You can go down that path for a while. Oh, yeah. So let's switch gears. We could probably be in the show for three hours. I love that. I love that. But um, becoming a DJ and kind of getting into that space, how does, how does becoming a DJ in terms of mixing music and working for, and Split Second Sound is arguably, you know, I send every bride and groom I meet to Split Second Sound. Really the only people that I know that I can trust that are going to come into a bang-up job and treat the clients the same way that I would. So being a DJ and interacting with brides and grooms and seeing all these different people that you work with on a regular basis, how does that kind of change who you are as a person in terms of what you see every day and kind of being part of the machine and being all of that sort of space? Um, well, it's funny because people are like, oh, you're a wedding DJ. When you get married, like, what's, like what you're talking about? And uh, so, and let me let me back it up a little bit because I want to get into kind of how I wound up with Split Second Sound even though into where Split Second Sound has gotten me to that point. But so, um, let's see here. To start back with how I even got involved with Split Second Sound as far as like interest. I was, uh, when I was younger, like when my dad started getting, uh, when he got sick, we kind of started the whole cruising. When we go on vacations, he wanted to be like, hey, let's take a cruise. Let's take a cruise. So we got family together, we got on a cruise. And um, being in a Christian household, I was never really in a situation where I could be put somewhere where there was lots of secular music where people like to dance. That was not something I really I was into. So we go on this cruise, and this cruise had a nightclub. I'm sure you can completely identify with you. It's so funny. <laughs> it's like you're hearing yourself tell this. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, so we go on this cruise, and this cruise has like a teen nightclub or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. I, you know, I was 17 or 18 years old. I was kind of girl crazy, and that's where the girls were. They're at this old nightclub. I was like, I'll go check this out. Um, I never really done any dancing before. I, just, I didn't know bad rhythm or not. So they start playing music. I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go dance. Play on the dance floor. People are like, no, oh, you know how to dance. I, I guess I absolutely know. Cool. This is great. So that was a lot of fun. We got back, and uh, I had my friend Deanna, and she was like, hey, we, me and my friend Shannon are going out tonight. We're going to go uptown to, to a couple of clubs. Do you want to come with? And I was like, actually, I just went on a cruise, and I had some fun. It doesn't look like going on the boat. Yeah. Let's. So I started going uptown a lot. I was never really a big drinker. I'm still not a big drinker, but I always like to go uptown and dance. I'm like, you go uptown and dance? Yeah. And fortunately, I had some friends who liked to go uptown and dance too, and they did like to drink, so it just worked out that I would always be their DD. So for like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, several nights a week, we were all going uptown, I was DDing people, coming back, just having a good time. And so obviously, as someone who enjoyed dancing, you enjoy what the DJ is doing. The DJ is playing good music you can dance to, you're having a good time. So I always had respect for the DJ because they were enabling me to go out and have a good time and enjoy myself. But I never saw myself in that position as the DJ. And then I was working as a, a server at a movie steakhouse in South Park before they closed down. It was uh, late 2008, early 2009. They closed down and I needed a job. So I went on Craigslist. Best place wow. to find a job. So I go on Craigslist and split seconds out. That's what I met our producer over here. That's what she was telling me. It, it works out well sometimes. So, uh, Split Second Sound is hiring party motivators. The description is essentially like, hey, do you enjoy dancing? If you want to come like to these private events, just get out with the crowd, interact, have some fun, do the keep shuffle, do the cha-cha slide, just have fun with people. That's all we need you to do. So I 
you know, answered the ad. Vinny, we sat down. He said, "Great, let's Love try this out." Vinny. Vinny's the man. Vinny is the man. Uh, game day DJ for the Carolina Panthers. Um, so, um, so yeah. So he, he was like, "All right, come on board. We'll try this out." I worked as a party motivator for about six months with Sports Night Sound, and Vinny sat me down. He said, "You're doing a great job as a party motivator." However, we feel like you have a great personality that would make you for a good DJ if you're interested in learning. And I said, And you have a good voice, too, by the way. Thank you. You have a nice radio voice, nice deep baritone sound to it, smooth and clean. I appreciate that. Voice for radio, voice for TV. Um, so Vinny was like, yeah, you've got, you got a great personality. We'd love to train you. And I said, let's do it. This, this sounds like a lot of fun. So from January 2009 to May of 2010, I was just going to events as the assistant, you know, Helping lead set up, go over cues, I'd hit the music, like play first dance, special dances for people. And then once it was time to get the party started, DJ would come take over, I'd get out and help motivate my crowd. And uh, eventually as that happened, I'd come back and started mixing music too. And the DJ, the lead I was working with, they kind of gave me the opportunity to get some crowd practice. I think you were the party motivator for Ashley and Keith, if I recall, weren't you? No, I was actually there. You were the real <laughs> Yeah. Um, so for the 17 months from January to May, um, January going on May of 2010. I was just trying to train, and then Vinny said, "All right, you're ready." I said, "All right, cool, let's do this." So May 2010, I started doing weddings. Uh, in in 2010, I won Second Sounds um, Rising Star Award. I was like, "Oh, cool, this is awesome!" And then from 2011, you get like a special jacket you get to wear with an emblazoned award title on there. They gave us a nice plaque. Like it was, it was, a, it was cool. Um, and then Vinny, for all the leads one year, he gives all the nice jackets. Just Second like Sound on the back. Got to rip the logo. You saw um, the link on there, or is it pretty bland? No, it's 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 sleek. Our our thing was like was fitting in, being being a part. Hey, you guys of it. are always dressed with like uniform, that sort of stuff. I kind of like exactly. We want to blend in and make sure we're providing professionalism without taking the show. We're not there to steal the show. We're there to just provide. Um, if I say the, the, the tagline is, we don't just provide entertainment; we create it. Um, so I was doing that. Uh, having a lot of fun, and like 2010 Rising Star Award, and then from 2011 until currently, um, Lavar, one of our best DJs on Skills Like Sound, he and I just go head to head every single year when most requests DJ, and we would just go back and forth. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, so it was just friendly competition. Um, and then two years ago, Vinny at our annual awards center was like, all right, you guys have been battling head to head for most plus DJ for years. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna have you guys stop the fight, I'm going to take both of you and bring you both up into my elite package with me. And then it's going to be Vinny, Jordan Lavar, the elite DJs of Split Second Sound because you guys have earned that spot. And so we've just been Vinny's elite guys for the past couple of years. And it, just the growth and the amount of weddings, I've done close to 400 weddings at this point. And the amount of joy and experience and just things you see because at Split Second Sound, we're not allowed to drink on the job. That's, that's a big no-no. It's a zero tolerance policy. Because you can't have an intoxicated professional. Yeah, so... Being. I had to fire a photographer once who was drinking. I, I showed up. No, I kid you not. I was shooting a, an alternative gig. That gig ended. She was shooting the wedding. I showed up at the, at the wedding just to kind of check in, and um, she had been drinking. And I was like, it's done. Like, just go home. Yeah. And I finished up the night. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. True story. It happened about five years ago. Yeah. And that's crazy. Crazy. Because like, you think it's, it's kind of common sense. If you think you about would, it, you would think. But, but again, common sense is not as common as we'd like. You're coming at it from your perspective. I'm coming at it from mine. Somebody else has a completely different. Absolutely. 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 Anyway. 
That's a, that's a thing to pause and understand. You're right. It's all about perspective that we hold. It is absolutely fantastic. And we can go down that rabbit hole for a while. But, you know, I used to think that everyone should think the way I think because that's the way I thought things. And then you don't think about it. And like, what's wrong with you? It's not something wrong with you. Just, they, they're coming at it from their perspective and their upbringing and their history and all of their different things that they've had at it. And I was like, what are some Jonahisms? Some Jonahisms. Uh, what are some of the core principles that you live your life by? Well, you said the golden rule is a big thing. Like I always try to just take a moment to think, if I'm about to do something to someone, like would I want them to do that to me? Like if I would not, don't do it. Like, that's just, just, taking a, just taking a moment to be present in the moment and understand that the actions that you are about to act on are going to have repercussions. They can be positive, they can be negative, depending on how you approach that situation. Um, and it, it's important to understand that how you would react to something is not how everyone else is gonna react to it, which is what we're just talking about, just having different perspectives. Um, so it's just kind of, I feel like a Jonahism is just smiling and being nice to people and just, and that's not anything that's original to myself, it's just how I feel like people should behave to each other. Um, if any like specific Jonahisms that would be that I can identify. While you're thinking about it, I'm going to ask you another question. For an up and coming DJ, somebody who wants to say a Ganat flyer on my face for the last eight minutes, I really know how to say it the proper way. I just like to say <coughs> um, If I'm a DJ, young up and coming DJ, what would you say to me to get started? Like, what are like, do you have any <coughs> underlying principles? Like, knowing what you know now, being doing this now for 15 plus years, what would you tell someone like? Hey man, you want to be a DJ, but here's what you should really start being. Well, to correct you, just because I don't want, it's only been 10 years. I don't want to say I have more experience than I have. Um, so for 10 years experience to, to go out and say, to talk to someone who's just starting, learning music is more important, or is most important is because um, as, as DJs in the term of like the general, like if you're going to a club, those DJs, you, you gotta know your top 40s, you gotta know some songs that are like 10, 15, 20 years old. But for what I do, is, as far as specifically being involved in, in weddings, which is my, it's, I could do, go out and do other events, but I prefer weddings. Like, I love the energy and just everything that's involved in a wedding. So, um, knowing older music, 60s, 70s, 80s music. Um, so that you can grab it on the fly. Right, exactly. Because the, the more you know your music, the better you're going to be able to read a crowd. Because if you got, if, you know weddings, you've got 80-year-olds, 70-year-olds, people that are 20, you got people all over the spectrum that can add it just all Can nice. we get somebody in to take care of this connect? Do we know what's going on here? What's the production team? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so the most important part is, is for weddings, uh, being a wedding DJ, is being able to read a crowd, knowing music from all different eras, all different genres, um, so that when you can look out into a crowd and see that, you know, there's right now your dance floor is primarily people in their 40s yeah, and 50s, yeah. they're not going to want to hear stuff from like the 2000s typically. Know your music. I'm gonna cut you short on these because no, please do. Run out. I don't. I want. I don't want this to go too lengthy. But so know your music. What else? Uh, know your fun fundamentals as far as mixing, like beat matching, uh, being able to blend, like being able to mix in key, finding songs. Do you mix on a table? Or do you I, I've got a controller. Uh, it's got two different platters. I don't, I'm not a, um, a turntable DJ as far as having the big old school like bring vinyls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a bad back. Drunk driver. So you do everything electronically through the computer? Everything is digitally done, yeah. I've got, uh, instead of having crates and crates and crates of music, I can have, I think I've got 76,000 songs on this computer. Do you preload the music before an event, or do you get there and make everything up on the fly? 
So I always meet with my uh, my couples about a month before their event. I go over all their must plays, their do not plays, all their formalities, their special songs that need to be played, whether it's first dance, cake cutting song, last song of the night, all those. And I make sure to have those ready, labeled, in chronological order of how they're going to be happening for the course of the evening. Um, and then after I talk to them about their do not plays, their must plays, and their artist preference, uh, that week before their wedding, I'm sitting down pretty much every single day, dedicating a few hours here and there to go over, like, oh, well, day, like, I, I tell my clients I like to be your biological Pandora radio. You tell me who you like, and then I'm going to go through my music and say, well, if they like these, they'll probably like this. And I put together, um, not a set list, but just a, a pool of music that I feel is going to work well for that crowd based on who they said that's going to be there as far as their guest list and what they like. And then on the fly, at the wedding, during dinner, I'm going around talking to guests. Hey, guys, I'm Jonah. Why are you DJ? Exactly. I'm your DJ tonight. I just want to find out when we start dancing later on. What can I play that's going to get you guys out on the dance floor? So then I'm taking what the bride and groom said that they want and don't want, what their guests said that they do want. And if the guests request something that the bride and groom said they didn't want, I can just neglect that and go from there. Do you ever steer bride and grooms away from specific songs? Like, okay, that's great. I know that's your favorite song to dance and chicken dance or whatever the crazy shit is, but we're not playing that tonight. Or is it kind of bride and groom? So if the bride and groom say they want specific songs, it's their wedding. I'm not going to say I'm not going to play them for them. Uh, but if they do suggest songs that I feel are counterproductive to the theme of the evening, I will, like, I've had um, some people say, oh, we really want to play Matt Brander saying they wanted to be introduced to Hello by Adele. And I said, great song. Adele's an amazing artist. However, are you aware that Hello is a breakup song? And are you guys wanting to be introduced to a breakup song as the first song people hear you being introduced at your, at your wedding? Like, is that? That's fantastic. So I, and that's about knowing music, knowing lyrics, knowing the meaning behind songs. So that when a bride and groom come to you with, with and they're trusting me as their, as their professional to guide them in the way of music. So when they come to me and they have these ideas, if it's not something that's not gonna rock the evening either way and it's something they want, by all means. But if it's something that their guests are gonna go like, wow, really? I like the information that I kind of bring that to their attention so that they're not like, oh, well, I didn't think about that. And it's not my job to say you shouldn't use that as a breakup song, but I feel like it's I'm doing them a disservice if I'm just like, oh yeah, sure we can play that. I understand. What gets you going every morning? What gets you the day? Like, what are some of the Jonah daily mantras that were inspirations that kind of make make you get through a day? Because we all got shit, and we get I get it, right? So, what are some of the fallbacks? Are you uh, are you an inspirational reader? Do you like to just jam out to your music? Do you like to meditate? Do you like quiet space? Like, what are your things that keep you going? Uh, well, my day always starts with dog terabyte, cat nanobite, every single day, nanobite's ready for food, terabyte's ready to go outside. So my day starts going downstairs, letting terabyte out, giving the animal a can of food. Um, so my animals really get my day started, give them some love. Um, because growing up, we had a zoo. We'd be homeschooled, so my mom didn't have to worry about school. She kind of had like a zookeeper. We didn't have pets, but our house was a zoo with 12 kids. Oh, I can imagine with the kids. But yeah, so we had, we had birds, we had dogs, we had cats, we had horses, we had rats, we had iguanas, we had chinchillas. Dude, we had, it was ridiculous. Um, so animals have always been a really big part of my life. Like it's just, you know, there are people who say, I'd rather spend time with animals than people. In between, like I love spending time with people, but animals are where it's at. Uh, so day starts with pets. Pets. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I do enjoy reading. I don't spend as much time to dedicate a reading as I should. That should have been my 2019 resolution to sit down and spend more time reading. I don't, I don't either because I never actually put them. Nobody yeah. ever felt those. And they last for a week and a half and they just fall like a piece of just live your life with the resolution every day. Exactly. 
So uh, yeah, the animals, reading, music. Um, I really, I've tried to steer away from TV because, especially now in this political climate, like it's just nonsense. And three years running, no TV. Oh, dude. I mean, the Netflix has some cool shows you can watch here and there, but as far as like basic cable or things, I try to just. Um, so a lot of life is just trying to be in the moment and just enjoy being alive. Um, after losing my dad and my sister, you, you find a new appreciation for life because you've seen the people closest to you lose the opportunity to live it. Favorite song? Oh gosh. Um, oh, it's All-time a favorite song. Come on, DJ, you got to spit that out. No, I know, but there's so many. Like, and if you had to fall back with one song that you get to listen to the rest of your life, what's that song? I mean, the one that comes to mind right now is uh, Hip Hop by Dead Friends. Like, like uh, just, that's one that just always gets me like, yeah. um, You're going to laugh, but I like the movie movie by Real the Real. Yeah? The same song from the Disney animated movie. Madagascar. Madagascar. Right? Yeah. Like, it's like always a good song. It's energy, though. I like yeah. the movie, movie. Yeah, yeah it gets you going. Um, but, but with being a DJ and having so many songs and understanding that your favorite song is really dictated by what mood you're in. I get it, but if you had one song, okay. So if you couldn't be a DJ, what would you be doing? Well, again, like I said, I want to be a prosecuting attorney, so I probably. But I found out how corrupt the judicial system is, and that it's not really the facts, but how who you know and how much money you have, and that's really disappointing to me. And we can get into that because that's just another rabbit hole. Last question: What's your legacy you want to leave on this planet before you trade in this body for something else? I really like that question. The way you phrase it, trading your body for something, because um, I feel like that's really what's going to happen as far as. This is just a shell, bro. This is my car right here. This is, this is your current shell. Yeah. Um, my legacy is just, I just want people to be, I want people to remember my name and say, remember Jonah? Like, he was always, he was smiling, always nice to people. If you needed something, if you asked for something, he was always there. And I, I want people to say, because of he was like that, I also want to be like that. I just want to spend my life giving people examples to take forward and, and just keep it going. Like, just, be nice to people. We're all brothers and sisters. Let's treat each other like that. Dude, that's a fantastic answer. You're my man. I appreciate you having me on time. I didn't mean to cut you short on those last few questions, but no, I try to try to keep this a little bit short. And uh, anyways, we're gonna get this view on this Hey, thanks for coming out. Say hi to Denny for me. I will, and I'm looking forward to working with you soon. Likewise, brother. Thank you to Deborah, our production coordinator, Thank for you filming today. Really appreciate your time. And I'm gonna cut this now. And.